You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is up, Goat Flippers? Thanks for checking out this episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. If you're new, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, welcome back, buddy. This week on the podcast, I'm chatting with Steven from Utah's very own Chelsea Grin. Steven and the boys released the first installment of their double album back in November, Suffer in Hell. And in a couple of weeks on March 17th, they'll release the second installment, Suffer in Heaven. We talk about both of those albums on this particular podcast. You can also catch Chelsea Grin co-headlining alongside Carnifex on the Suffer in Heaven, Suffer in Hell tour, which kicks off in April and also includes support from Left to Suffer and Of Sulfur. You can find all of those dates for that tour, plus many other tours, plus everything about your favorite bands in the hardcore and metal music scene over at lambgoat.com. Give us a like on Facebook and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at lambgoat. We are on TikTok, lambgoat.com, D-O-T-C-O-M spelled out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lambgoat YouTube page. We have all of these podcasts and video format over there, plus live shows, plus interviews, plus other pieces of content, and we have so much more coming. If you want to check out the podcast before it goes live, or if you want to see any other content that we have on our YouTube page before it goes public, support us on Patreon. Patreon supporters get first access to all of our content. You can support Lamb Goat starting at just $1. If you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lurk City. That's L-U-R-K-C-I-T-Y. And if you dig what we're doing here on the podcast, or if you enjoy any of our content, please take a second to go ahead and rate and review us on any platform that you're currently listening to us on go ahead press pause do it right now also if you want any of the links from chelsea grin or any of the links that we've kind of already covered in this intro they are in the description so while you're in the description go ahead and rate us there too all right now that we've covered all the bases let's go ahead and roll into the show oh yeah what's this i feel this oh yeah this is uh Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome back to the Van Flip episode, Lamb Goat's very own podcast. You know me, I'm Lurk. I am sitting with, via the internet, if you're not watching the video, I am sitting with a, uh, oh sorry, I just got an email, I got distracted, it was from Tim, the guy who's setting all this up, which you probably just heard the ding in it. I got that uh, email too. <laughs> yeah. I'm with Steven of the Chelsea Grin, or not the Chelsea Grin, Chelsea Grin. I was going to try to pronounce your last name, Steven, but I'm just going to let that roll, and I'm going to let you do it, because I don't want to butcher it too bad. Steven Rudishauser, baby. Rudishauser, <laughs> yeah, that, that would have rolled right off the tongue. Either way, yeah, we won't reply to Tim, because obviously we situated everything. You and I are on the call. It's uh, yeah, good. We're, we're here now. So, <clears throat> Steven, it's a Friday. What's going on, man? What you been up to? Uh, a whole bunch of just getting ready to drop a record, you know, which happened today. So mm-hmm. uh, today's been a lot of scouring the internet, looking for anybody who's being mean to me. 
Just is that kidding. hard? Is that hard to do? <laughs> you know, the response has been super positive, so I'm grateful for that thus yeah, far. We'll, yeah, we'll see good. what the we'll see what the lamb goaters have to say. Yeah, you know, it's a fickle uh, fickle crowd that that little uh, audience there. You know, <laughs> it's just a bunch of bad comedians telling bad jokes. That's how I yeah. that's how I look at it. Yeah, that's... fun troop. But yeah, so how is it like you know because you guys have been working? I mean, this is the first record in a couple of years. Um, <clears throat> And I know it's like, I think it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, uh, is it the first one with Tom or the second one with Tom? This is our second uh, release with Tom. Yeah, I know he joined the band and I didn't know, uh, I mean, I know he joined the band a couple years ago. I didn't know if you guys put out a record by that time or if it, it, right away. But yeah, that makes sense because <clears throat> it's been a number of years and I know it's been a number of years since you guys put out a record. Hence this record, uh, which is part one of a double feature record that you guys got going on. Um, Suffer in Hell dropped today. Suffer in Heaven drops next year, a couple months from now, right? Yeah, yeah. March 17th is the is the drop date. And, like, obviously, we're going to get into, like, just, like, the stupid questions here. But, like, how did that come about, the double album? Was it because you guys had so much holdover material from the COVID, uh, like, restriction stuff? Or did you guys just really crank some stuff out? And how did you decide to make it a double album? Um. Well, we... Like we always try to reach the studio with a surplus of material just so that we can, with a producer's assistance, like, you know, outside perspective, listen through and really refine it down to what we feel is the strongest batch. Um, so this album, we went in with like 30 something ideas. And initially when we you know got there, we weren't going to do two albums. We weren't going to do 16 songs. Um, but that process of refining just kind of led us to realize we had a lot of material we were stoked on on our hands. And a lot of times, like, you know, you could just use it for the next album. Like, okay, we like this song, but we'll we'll save it for later. But with this one, we just felt it had been so long and it was going to be so long between even the recording process and today, release day, that we wanted to come back swinging a little harder with, with more material, you know, just show mm -hmm. that the last few years including you know lockdowns and whatnot weren't um weren't just like lazy times for us it was a lot of work and uh you know a lot of thought went into it just to to push the band forward so it really just came out of having so much material and being so stoked on a lot of it uh and then you know when we when we had 16 songs we were like we can't drop a 16 song deathcore album like that's that's too much and uh at the same time you know 16 songs people are going to breeze past a lot of them you know they'll they'll find their favorites and some of them may be an afterthought we just didn't mm -hmm. want to give we didn't want to give people the opportunity to look over songs you know you get eight songs each of them is more meaningful than if you had 16 all at once so so yeah and we just uh said fuck it two albums yeah i mean it's it's it doesn't really happen that often, but also, I mean, your your explanation of that led me to think of a couple more things to ask you here. So um, you guys came into the studio with, you know, 30 something ideas. What happens to those? I mean, I and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would doubt you show up to the studio normally with a plethora of like 30 plus songs uh, to whittle down from. But when you when you arrived at the studio with however many songs you do per album cycle, what happens? to those songs that don't make the cut? Do they just like stay around in limbo to where you guys tweak them, fiddle with them, or do you just 
like cut them off and say goodbye forever? They usually just wind up in the in the boneyard, you know. I mean, there are some of them don't get chosen because it's like, well, I only brought a minute and a half of this and it's going to take a lot more work to turn this minute and a half into a full song. So some of them, um, you know, I, I, I won't forget about and polish up maybe for another release or for my own personal music or whatever it may be. They tend to just kind of fall by the wayside and be forgotten about, but um, trying to be better about that. You know, a lot of go, a lot of work goes into even making a minute of material, at least yeah. for me. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, I don't know. I used to just never look back. I was like, I've done that. It's, it's a thing of the past. It's not going to be relevant now. So forget about this material, but sometimes, you know, there are pearls, you know, within the, within that mass of unused material. So just sift through that and see what you want to hang on to. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's nothing. How often do you ever, if ever, do you go back and listen to old material that's not selected? Um, you know, I, I keep like a, a folder on my computer just of everything we've made um, throughout all of time. There's so much material in there. And when I'm getting back into like writing mode, which, you know, I'll probably start doing now um I, I will sift through all of that and uh just sort of pluck from it what i enjoy but you know it's fun sometimes even just to listen without the intent of what am i going to use mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a time capsule you know yeah. it takes me back to where i was what i was feeling stuff that's like why, that yeah that's why i was asking you because I, I mean i've been removed from a band for many years almost two decades now so but uh, I will say that I can remember how I felt about that material 20 something years ago. And then like I played it for somebody the other day and I was like, huh, this is a lot faster than I remember and a lot heavier than I remember and a lot better than I, you know, gave myself credit for, I guess. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really weird how like, you know, different you, you, you age or days go by and you look back at something with almost like a fresh set of eyes or listen with a fresh set of ears. And you do find those little nuggets in there. So that's kind of what I was asking, because obviously coming to the table with a plethora of, you know, material, it almost sounds like half of that was either left behind or not explored because you already had solid leads elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, time is a is a good vetting process. You know, if something holds up years later or when you're in a different point in life and you still enjoy it, then that's a good indicator that it's worth keeping around. And sometimes you do surprise yourself. There have been songs from every record I've done with Grin that we didn't choose them for one reason or another, but I look back and I'm like, well, it's not that this was a bad song. It's just that in the context of the record, it wouldn't have made sense. So it's, it's not for nothing. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's crazy to look back sometimes. It's always good too. Um, Another thing I was going to inquire about is uh, how it used, you guys used to have, um, you know, during your time, your time in the band and then obviously prior, there was multiple guitar players at some point. You had three mm-hmm. at some point. So how does that uh, how does that play into the new kind of, you know, uh, lineup? I don't want to call it a new lineup, but the new shape of the band with it being a four-piece. Do you guys like, um, you know, do you, I don't know, do you guys think about that differently now when you're writing or is it still just like we can layer on layer on layer and then we'll just deal with it in live? Like if we ever have to play it live, we'll have a, you know, a hired on hand or play it through a a backtrack or something. 
We do use a guitar track in a live setting. So, you know, I've got the reassurance that if I am writing multiple guitar parts on top of one another, that I can facilitate that in a live mm-hmm. setting as well. Um, but for me, it's very much about like, I know people want to see a lot of guitarists up there. I know people chime in about, oh, you know, it's a cop out to have a track, you know, so many bands more bands that I can think of use a guitar track than don't. So it's like, for me, it's just about if I'm going to write music, that's going to require multiple guitars, then it's my job to perform every part that I physically can in a live setting. So you come watch us live and it's like, I'm weaving between all these parts. It's way harder to, to play this shit live than it is to like record it just because I'm trying to cover every bass. And that's like part pride, you know, like I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm slacking. If there's, if there's a solo being played, of course, I'm going to play a solo. If there's leads being played, I have to play those. If there's rhythms under them, then I'm going to do my best to touch on them at some point or another. It's just about kind of showcasing that we can play all of these parts. We're not using the track as a, as a, a a cop out. It's, Mm. it's, but it does kind of influence the way you write. You know, I I don't want to create things that I won't be able to translate to a live setting. And that's become more important to me as as now I'm the only guitarist. So it is it comes with a certain degree of responsibility. I mean there are parts on this this album that have like three guitar parts playing at once, but it's just a matter of like, okay, how can I structure this so that i can play through each of these three guitar parts at some point or another throughout this song um so you kind of do have to be thoughtful about it but then sometimes i'm like screw it just gonna go hard i'll figure it out later which is kind of where i'm at right now yeah. <laughs> interesting yeah because you know it's it all it, my quite like a thing that i was thinking of is like it's it's one thing to like i mean i don't write guitar so i i it's foreign to me you know what i mean i don't i don't write music on guitar so it's completely foreign as to how I would layer, you know, guitars on top of each other, let alone write one just guitar part for, you know, one guitarist's part, let alone adding on other things on top. So it's got to be very difficult. Do you like, not to say that you miss it, but do you ever like wish that you had another guitarist, like another dedicated guitarist uh, that had like input on ideas and stuff like that? Or do you bring people in on that process, whether you're, like just writing stuff at your house or, or in the studio with the guys, you get other people to like, you know, toss ideas. Other, I should say not other people, other guitarists to toss ideas against. Um, Not really. I mean, I, I don't say this from an arrogant standpoint. It's just like, I don't feel I need the help. So there's no lack of inspiration. There's no need for a nudge, you know, to, in a certain direction to like keep things moving. It's, it's usually a pretty fluid process for me. And it does take a lot of time. I don't know if bringing another guitarist maybe expedite some of it, but my writing process is slow and Mm -hmm. methodical. And I do sometimes think, okay, if I had not even just a guitarist, if I had anyone else sitting in this room with me, then maybe I'd feel a little bit more energized to like get more done on this song today type situation but there's no hole in the process that that we feel needs to be filled you know it's all getting done it's a little slower but that's also just 
our process. You know, the authenticity comes from taking time for us. So I, I, I miss having another guitarist in a live setting just because I would love to be like, all right, dude, you got to play this solo. I'm, I'm chilling out for this one, but uh, no such luck. Yeah. And the need, the need isn't great enough to where it's worth it yet. You know, it's, it's not a, a never say it's a never say never situation. Like we may bring someone in at some point. I've thought about it. I've got a lot of friends that I would love to, to have up there with us, but the machine is operating smoothly. So mm. plus another mouth to feed regardless. Oh, exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we used to have six guys in this band and when it came time at the end of tour to, to pay everyone out, it was like, God damn. All right. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. Cause a lot of, a you know, yeah, exactly. A lot of bands don't necessarily think about that. And uh, it's, it's funny, not funny, but it's interesting that, you know, you, I've been able to see bands like start and end and I've seen, you know, the last 20 something years, there's been a lot of bands come and go, but you also get to see bands that are at one point were of, you know, many members. And now they've dwindled down to four, or a, a, you know, a tight core, even three sometimes. So it's just funny because obviously, you know, when you're thinking of that as a young musician and, you know, you just want to do it for fun, but then you realize at some point it can't just, just be fun it's got to pay bills and then you start getting into that mindset of like oh how can i maintain this oh well if we cut out this this or this or if we do this this or this you know there's another band that i was talking to uh relatively recent that has quite a large number of members and uh, i don't know if they all the band members know it but i think they're going to be s- s- sizing down <laughs> shortly oh uh-oh yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's fun. a business. Like you've got to you've got to have a business mentality. As much as when I first started touring and and joined the band, I, I wanted it to be fun and games. I quickly realized that it's it's got to you've got to have a good structure to your business. And let's be honest, a, a bunch of band dudes in a band is like <laughs> CEOs. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it's a bunch of CEOs in a band. Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of CEOs who just like bicker and are highly opinionated and uh, take subjective things and approach them from objective standpoints. <laughs> so I don't miss it. I mean, no. I, I miss everyone that has been in our band and I, I love them all dearly. But I like that now it's just a, a nice small group text and things get decided quickly. Mm-hmm. Do you guys all live in the same location? No, we're all spread out. I live in yeah. Oregon. Bassist David is in Utah. Tom, our vocalist, is in North Carolina now, and drummer is in Indiana. It's a lot of flights to book. Yeah, (laughs) it sounds like a lot of slow moving parts sometimes. Yeah, we've got our system though. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the communication is is rapid and open. So, not to keep harping on the the writing, but obviously the new record just dropped today. But so how does that work? Like, who comes to the table with the idea, or does it matter who? Like, is there a sole person that is like the main bulk songwriter? And I don't want to assume that's you because you're the guitarist, but like, uh, you know, maybe David comes with the bass line, or maybe you know Tom has an idea, or there's you know drum fill or a drum part that you guys build around. But like, what's the main, you know, the main structure to kick things off? I do a, a large portion of the songwriting myself. Um, and 
I think, you know, I'll get ideas and I'll send them to my band. We'll communicate about, oh, this could use this or even, you know, whatever feedback I can get from them. When we are all in the same place, we do get in a room together and write, mm -hmm. you know, and it's it's a lot of like, oh, here's a, a melody I have in my head. Stephen, can you turn this into a full-blown riff? Can you get the drums, the bass, the, the production up and uh, like help me realize this little vision I have? And um, so it is more collaborative when we're all together, but because we're apart, um, I do a large, large portion of the of right. the songwriting. Yeah, um, and not not to say the last album wasn't uh, wasn't significant by any means, but because Tom had only just recently entered the the band, you had the previous vocalist who was a longtime vocalist. That was basically like one of the last remaining members, <clears throat> even though David had been in the band for. Uh, you know, over 10 years at this point, or over, yeah, almost 15 at this point. But um, would you would you say, because you're, uh, you know, part of the new, I don't want to say new squad, because you've been in the band for six, five, six, seven years now, too. But um, is this kind of like, I feel like this could be like a the next chapter, right? Like, a even though the album, last album had Tom on it, and it had all you guys on it, would it be safe to say, like, this is like this group's next chapter like so chelsea grin has turned a page and you know this offering is like the new chelsea grin going forward not to say new but you know vibe new vibes new everything yeah i totally get what you mean and yeah it is very much sort of the an ushering of a new era um for us and that's sonically aesthetically you know every part of it we want it to be clear that this is a, a step in another direction for us it feels forward and it feels upward but as long as people get the sense that this is not a new band, you know, we still try to stay very true to the core of the band, you know, different members, you know, uh, the lack of originality in the membership. It, it, it's still we're trying to to pay homage to what made the band what it is. And I think people, you know, would be able to hear that if they listen closely enough. But it is it is in our heads also sort of a a new time. You know, it's. Yeah. It, I think... it's, it felt like that. I don't know if I, I felt like that with the with the album or anything like that, but it did feel like a quote-unquote defining moment. Yeah, definitely. I think that the sound that you're hearing from our band now is what you'll hear consistently moving forward. And obviously we'll try to up the ante and push the envelope with each release. But um, this is what you get and this is what you can expect, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Out of your, in your opinion... This is going to be a dumb question, but I have to ask it. In your opinion, which is the better of the two albums, Hell or Heaven? It's a tough one. Right now, I want to lean toward Heaven. <laughs> I think partly because I've listened to uh, the um, the Suffering Hell so much at this point. Like it's oh, we got Mike here. He's dropping off my Popeyes. I saw Popeyes. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Um, I'm a little blown out on Suffering Hell. I mean, I still really enjoy it. We didn't put the albums together with the intention of one being more anything than the other, but I do feel like Suffer in Heaven, the second album, has a little more like staple grin sound, but it's also more exploratory. It's got groove. It's it's just uh, a little bit more up my alley. Um, I mean, I love it all. I just genuinely think that my relationship with the two albums is based on which one I'm hearing more of 
uh, at the time. And so having gone through the whole release cycle of getting hell out there, um, I've just been exposed to it a lot more than the second half. So I, and I don't know, based on what I've seen from people today, I mean, it's been super positive, but the little bits I'm seeing of like, I wish there was more X or I, I miss Y. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I know this is coming to you on Suffer in Heaven. So I don't know. Picking picking a favorite is tough, but at the moment we're going with Heaven. I get you. Well, it's a, it gives the fans to look some, something to look forward to, obviously, because if they enjoy the and Suffer in Hell, though, they may enjoy Heaven more, or they may just like it more because now you've said it, so you kind of put that into their head, you know? I'm tricking them. I'm playing games. mental games with them. Yeah. I'm gaslighting them into <laughs> believing they already like the second album more. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> where do the names come from? The titles, Suffer in Heaven, Suffer in Hell. I mean, it was kind of reflective of where we were in the time of choosing the titles. It, it was just observing a lot of suffering happening within our camp, but also everywhere. And it feels like there's this ramp up in in a negativity in, in our collective consciousness as people, you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, obviously through the pandemic, we're going through the same shit together, but then it sort of made us reflect that like, you know, every, nobody is above pain and suffering in their life. You know, you don't go through the entirety of your life with no suffering. And that speaks from the highest to the lowest points of society. It's, it's something that none of us go without. So there's some measure of, of, everybody can relate through having felt pain in their life. Mm-hmm. And, and we were like, well, if everybody's feeling it, you know, I guess you feel it in hell and you feel it in heaven all the same. There's no hiding from it. Right. Um, and so really it was just sort of a reflection on a reflection on a reflection mm-hmm. of uh, just how we were observing the world to feel our loved ones, our friends and people we didn't even know. It was uh there's, there's a common denominator here and that is, suffering right and outside of just the normal pandemic yada yada stuff because i hate talking about that because i yeah. talk about it for two years with the zoom podcasting going on that's been fun but um what what does steven suffer from that he put into the record if he doesn't mind sharing i think there's just a lot of battles through life and and you know i don't want to steer this interview in a different direction but for me like i since I was a kid, I've had all sorts of depression and anxiety issues, just, just pretty severe throughout my whole life, but I've had a great life. You know, it's not because of necessarily my surroundings. It's more to do with, it's just chemically has occurred for me, you know? And so I've dealt with that a ton throughout my life and there's been a lot of loss and especially in the last five or six years, I mean, I've, I've lost a ton of, extremely dear friends and a lot of family and so you know for me it's like I reflect on it I'm like I've had a great life I'm really grateful for everything I've had but it doesn't save me from this shit that I feel you know so you know another testament to like no matter who you are you're not going to avoid it um but you know it's it's been a lot I yeah. think also just who I am and and the position of 
being in a band sometimes is is a lot more complex and intense than people know and keeping this business running is is a difficult task so as my responsibilities have mounted um you know you kind of have to balance regular life with mm-hmm. with making this this crazy occupation work for you yeah so um you know there's just been a lot of struggle there and grateful for it all always no matter what but there's a lot of challenge yeah and uh and i think this is something that all of us in the band can relate on like we've all had our own mental health issues we've all faced different dilemmas and that's kind of where we came to find this commonality that caused us to look outward and see it all around us yeah not to uh harp on uh what you had originally brought up about the feelings that you have like since you were a kid and this or the other and, and mental health and stuff like that and by all means if i ask you a question you don't have to answer it uh but i feel like um you were saying like you know ever since you were a kid you had the feelings of depression and anxiety and stuff like that which is funny that you bring that up because in the last couple months weeks or so i've really been harping on that in my own like my own thought process like um I also indulge in marijuana every now and then. And I think the part that I actually enjoy about that is sometimes I do just freak out. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like I don't freak out, like have a freak out in the real world, but like internally all the spidey senses are going and I'm like fully freaking out inside. But I also semi like that. It also makes me realize like you're alive. So I don't know if like feeling those, I don't know if I got like, into feeling down just like growing up just like this is how it feels and then i became like associated with that feeling of like well this is how i always feel so that's just me and then i kind of like i don't know i don't want to say like fell in love with that feeling but i just got used to it and then i started thinking recently i was like well maybe everyone maybe everyone really is like that uh because you do suffer every day all non-stop for the most part i mean it's it's mostly suffering you get little blips here that are good but you need the bad to tell you that it's good. You know what I mean? So you need to have both. So part of me was like, maybe everyone's just kind of faking the funk around, you know, and everyone really is feeling the same shitty way <laughs> because the more people that I talk to, it feels like that's, that's kind of a thing. Like, and it could all be because we are in this heavy, uh, you know, music genre and this industry, because, you know, a lot of people that have those kind of issues sometimes gravitate towards heavier more angsty music and then obviously the community that comes within that but yeah i don't know i mean i see a lot of people talking about depression and anxiety and how it's like a bad thing sometimes and granted there are bad cases i'm not saying having depression or anxiety is great everyone should have it but i think i realized it's just it's part of me and part of it makes me who i am and it's part of my uniqueness and and whatnot and i don't think i'm bummed about it anymore you know what i mean i think i just fucking just I'm going to wake up today or tomorrow and do the same thing all over again and try to move forward regardless of what happens. So fuck it, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it is important to have the highs and the lows and and it's, it's healthy to feel a full spectrum of emotion. I think that where it becomes unhealthy and, and, and scary is when you don't know how to approach it or how to live with it or, um, you know, just surmount the obstacle that you're facing. But mm-hmm. I think that it is a good exercise. And and like you said, like I, 
I feel a catharsis sometimes in feeling down. I mean, that's why people love to go for drives on rainy days and listen to yeah. the saddest shit they've ever heard. You know what I mean? <laughs> feels good. Stuff, feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know psychologically whether these things are, if, if it's healthy to put that much energy into like, fuck it, I'm sad today. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to drive that point home. But, you know, it does feel good. It is therapeutic to embrace the sadness in a way. Um, yeah. So, and, and I do feel like, you know, it's even just, it's outside the metal community is, is inclined, I think, to feel angst. Um, but I've observed that it's not just metal people who feel angst. It's just metal people mm -hmm. who use metal to, to, uh, address that angst. Right. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's been an interesting time and this is independent of, you know, pandemic stuff. It's like, it's an interesting time to be alive. There's so yes, much going through a, a day of living is insane amounts of stimulus and like it's just unhealthy i mean i don't know how old you are but i grew up with none of this stuff yeah i lived a very different life and like i like i said i, I faced my issues even as a kid and, and even since then but everything has changed and now there's so much that you're exposed to every day that's trying to elicit some emotion from you and i think that's just fucked up you know, I think people are helpless to feeling this way. If you're if you're connected at all to the world around you, what's happening to you around you on your phone everywhere, then how can you fight that? It's yeah. it's all consuming. Yeah, I uh, I feel the same exact way, and this is where the metal podcast gets weird. But um, yeah, I feel the same way about the stimulus and stuff like that, and about you could. I, I mean, if we're having a conversation that's not recorded with the entire world, you could bring up probably anything that's going on negative in the world or in society or something like that. And my response would be probably like, I just don't think the human body or mind really can deal with like all the stress that's going on currently. And that's why there's so many different things going on regardless, like regardless. That's why, you know, there's so many more ADHD kids out there or, or whatever that is, you know, because I, I was an ADHD kid so who knows what that is right but like there's so much more diagnosed this that the other stuff coming on and like being depressed or being anxious or being blah blah blah, blah. it's like yeah but if you just really think about it because like like you said I didn't have the internet when I was a kid like I got the internet at like 14 15 years old like you know I was it was out but like my parents we didn't have a computer or anything like that so I was I was around it but I never had it in the house until that time and like I'm I just turned 39 so you know I I definitely played outside is not saying that kids don't do it now, but you know, it was a different time, like you said. And um, I feel like when you were a kid and like, say 15 years ago, you go to New York city, you stand in times square and you're like, what the fuck is going on? You know, cause you're from a whatever town and you go to New York city and it's just like, there's so much shit going on in times square. Everyone's wanting your attention. Everyone wants this, that, the other you're, you're exhausted. But now yeah. that's like every second on your fucking phone. Like, no matter where you're at, you're at Lamgo, there's an ad. You're at Instagram, there's a fucking someone trying to get you to do something they want you to do. Go down this funnel or something like that. Like, you're being marketed and advertised every fucking second of the day. Yeah, your brain is going to, the human brain, not your brain, but the human brain is going to break a little bit. And I think that's why we have this kind of, like, mass confusion about a lot of things. Not just one topic in general, but just, like, 
you know, then you throw in the other shit like the pandemic, the fucking political bullshit, whatever side you're on. There's like, you know, it's it's never getting better or it seems like it's never getting better. But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think if we kind of slowed it down, which isn't going to happen, uh, you know, I think brains may get better over time, but they all could, they also could do the other thing and just adapt to the stimulus and eventually curve, you know, but who knows? It, it is interesting. I mean, like, even like myself, sometimes I'll play a video game, but the video game is not enough. <laughs> I have to have the Sopranos playing on my laptop as well. Yeah. And like, I'm not even pay attention, paying attention. I'm just like, I, I, I don't know what it is. My brain is diverging, you know, and and like even just those things, I catch myself being this way and I'm like, wow, what a piece of trash I am. But I think a lot of people face these similar things. And, I, and, and especially lately where there's so much happening in the world and people want to be on the, the right side of history, right? They want to fight for the things they believe in, which is amazing. And, and they should. But when there's so much to fight for and you're so spread out. I, I encourage people to to speak up for what they believe in no matter what. But at the end of the day, you're exerting so much energy and it's difficult. It's difficult to maintain your mental health when you when you've exerted so much energy outward. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying this to like discourage anyone from from standing up for what they believe in. It's just I think a natural symptom of all of this stimulus. It's it's we're not wired for this. And, and and I think that some years from now, when we've had enough time to observe the pop, observe the population across this long longitudinal study, we'll say, holy shit, this is the turning point. And look where we are at this point in time. It's like this is this is yeah. the one crazy time for psychology. Oh, for, for sure. sure. I, I, I almost can't wait for it. I hope I'm around for those studies, but it does seem like it'll take a long, long time. Um, and, and to piggyback off of like what you were saying about like speaking up and, and, and all that stuff, it's like, I think a lot of people also have to be cautious of like, it's really easy to get used like for those kinds of things, for those kind of like virtuous kind of causes and stuff like that. Like, obviously like these, not everything is like that, but there are some, you know, organizations that will be, that just kind of like use that in negative negative light to like just kind of like i don't know echo chamber and do all sorts of shit so like it's really difficult you have to like know that you're not you have to really know you're not getting played which is again super fucking difficult on the internet so i, I don't know you just be wary you know you gotta be you remember, wary. remember coney yeah. 2012 yeah i'm pretty sure i still send 20 bucks a month to, to <laughs> goddamn greenpeace yeah well hey. You know, you live and you learn, and it's it's hard to navigate through the internet at this point in time and know what's safe and and what's healthy. I just people's judgment will grow, but at the same time, the 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 resistance that that counter force is going to adapt and grow as well. So it's it's a scary thought, you know, moving forward. I try not to think about it too much. I try to just live in the moment and enjoy and just reflect on what's in my immediate life and and be a, a soldier for the causes that I have the bandwidth to, to be there for, you know, mm -hmm. I think, but you know, the, the lesson I've learned from myself lately is um, 
some selfishness is is important it doesn't have to be negative selfishness there's positive selfishness where and you hear it all the time in like rom-coms and shit but like if you're not your best self you are not going to give your best to the world around you yeah, you know you're correct you're so correct. sometimes it just takes a little bit of self-serving and it doesn't have to be a negative thing no you're and you're right and we're, we're gonna switch gears here because you know it's getting kind of depressing which I like. So, yeah, which is depressing in psychology, and I like that. So, but I know that the people that tune in don't want to listen to just that. So, <clears throat> one thing before we kind of move on from the new album, uh, the, the new well, both albums are coming out with your partnership with one uh, one RPM. Mm-hmm. What's the partnership like? Can you give us some of the details of it? Like, are they your label? Or are you putting it out in part like in partners with them? So it's like self release kind of, but they're just a distro or so they are just a distro company, but they do offer a ton of label services, more than we expected when we first signed. They've been so amazing about facilitating certain processes of this and help connecting us to, you know, like uh, PR companies, you know, that connect us together and outlets for playlisting and things like this, um, maximizing our YouTube, uh, you know, activity, things like this. They, they, they cover a lot of bases but it's just a distro deal they just happen to have a lot of label services involved so you know the creative freedom is entirely there we do have more responsibility it is up to us to you know be on the front lines of making everything happen but it's very collaborative whereas with a label um you know it's more like this is what's happening this is how it's going to get done not really asking how we want to get things done. And I, I don't have beef with labels personally. I mean, they come in handy, but uh, it is refreshing to be in a situation like this. And we're able to, because we're more established as a band, you know, it's, we we can afford to to do some of thing, these things ourselves. And if we take a little bit of a hit or, or whatever, you know, people still, uh, a lot of people have still heard our name. So we're in a position where, the label backing maybe isn't quite so imperative to, to getting the message out. Um, but 1RPM has been really, really awesome. I mean, I, I text with our representative from there every day, and I've never texted with a single representative of our labels of the past, mm. even once, you know. So the connection is is deep. They care about the project. Um, it's just a lot of fun. And I, and I appreciate the freedom to do what we what we want. You know, we see more money out of this release than ever before. The deal is great, and it's just uh, they're they're it allows for creativity to reign supreme, um, which in the past like you have to worry about deadlines and things like this, and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pressure. But these guys, it was just an open friendly supportive process and uh yeah they're great love one rpm so it's like one of those things where like they just whenever you got it you have whenever it's done it's done and just give it to us then there's no stress on that or anything i mean i don't know if i'm supposed to divulge this information but in our (laughs) contract we originally signed we should have had the album to them way sooner okay but uh we just explained to them hey i mean for one covid struck and booking studio time became a whole other monster 
for two, we decided when we were in the studio, we were going to track another five songs and book more time down the line. Like we really, it feels like every few months we'd be like, Hey, uh, so this came up and, uh, we'll get it to you soon. You know, (laughs) um, they've been really chill about that. We, we were supposed to have it in much quicker, but they were also super understanding of us taking our time. And of course, like more songs means more benefit for everybody, you know? Right. So, uh, they had no complaints there. Awesome. Um, you were saying about the length of a death core record. Mm. Why, why, why is it that a death core record can't be multiple songs in length? Why do you think that is? Or is that just something that maybe should be changed? Um, well, I have always loved the a full length. Like you really get your message across through a full length. And a lot of people are like, oh, you have to release singles. It's singles only, maybe an EP. But from the artistry perspective, conveying your message, it's it's like it's like if and I'm not really comparing musicianship to literary uh you know um literature but uh if someone was to tell you you had to write a novel but you only had a hundred pages to do it um you know it's like cramming all that in there just isn't the same you're not going to get the point across as effectively um so i support lengthy albums um i do think that in a genre like deathcore there is such thing as maybe too much where it's like your brain is rotting by the time you're done listening to and you know for us it was almost an hour worth of material and that's just a a shitload of material and and the music is brutal and heavy and jarring and uh you know i think 16 songs would be too much i think like the standard full-length format uh, 10 to 13 songs is is more palatable but even just a few beyond that when I would listen to it in full, it was like, this is dense and it's hard to keep my attention on the album. And I love it. I wrote the thing, but I, I, my mind in the course of an hour cannot just stay centrally focused. Um, And like I said before, we, we want every song to have its moment and it's time in the spotlight. And it's not going to happen if, if, if it's 16 happening all at once, you know, um, I think doing eight and eight allows people to sit and simmer and, and, you know, stew with these songs um, more personally and, and more in depth. Um, and I'm not, there have been a lot of lengthy deathcore releases in years of late and I'm not knocking that. I just think, we wanted to try something a little different, but it's also not our style to just put out singles. I mean, we've done that in the past, but that's more like, here's a snack while we work on mm-hmm. dinner, you know, um, uh, the format of the genre, it's just the story can be told a lot better when songs are played in succession. Um, but you get too long and it's like reading a dense book and mm-hmm. eventually you're reading it, but you're not, absorbing it yeah so it's it's a fine line i think everyone obviously is free to do as they please and a lot of it depends on the material for these albums there's so many sounds present on the two albums i don't know it's a lot to digest so 
that if that's why it felt important to to chop it in half yeah you mentioned singles uh that's a good segue to my next question here um their latest single forever bloom <clears throat> you guys did with trevor mm -hmm. um i don't know if you're the ones if you're the person to ask but it seems like trevor was working with a lot of people in this last year or so because I, I i feel like a lot of songs have come out featuring him um and it seemed like that was more than usual. I don't know, but what what do you uh, do? You think that's the? Do you feel the same way? Like Trevor was getting, and I'm not saying that for any one reason or another. It just felt like Trevor was getting out there more. That's all. I mean, it could have just been a byproduct of having all that downtime. Mm -hmm. You know, true. true. I think keeping busy is important. Mm -hmm. I know that Trevor was just a massive giver. You know, it was all about give, give, give to the community. And so I, when we reached out for the feature, I, of course, I was scared of him saying no. But at the same time, I was like, he's going to, he would love to do this. Just not because it's us, but because it's a way to give more to the community, which is really seemed like his life motto. Um, but I think the volume, you know, any increase in volume of features, I think is I mean, I can only speculate, but I feel like it's probably a product of time, downtime, you know, and of course they had been touring and like picked it up once, you know, once things opened back up again. But, um, but yeah, I just, uh, you got to fill that, that downtime somehow. I feel you. Um, was there ever, and I, was there ever a thought of like <clears throat> not releasing it because he passed? Yeah. It, it was it was a huge debate um and not like any one of us was like we absolutely can't whereas others were like we absolutely must like all of us at the same time are like is this in bad form is this is this just impolite you know is this yeah. like without taste to do this and i did reach out to um you know people from the band just to like get their blessing and see, you know, attempt to reach out to his family and get their blessing as well. Um, and, you know, we just wanted to make sure we did it all properly. And, you know, we knew that song was going to be a single for a long time. Um, so it's not like, you know, the decision to make it a single came after his passing but you know we were gearing up to prepare to make that a single when when it had happened and uh you know at that point it was just like we felt as though and you know people from his band expressed the same thought we that Trevor would want to have this released you know he would want people to hear him on a track you know he 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 would have supported you know the release of the song or any song with him on it there's been multiple since his passing and uh but for us it was really important to make sure that you know his peers his family and those closest to him were okay with that uh so that was you know it was a it was a major thing and we above all else didn't want to disrespect anyone um by releasing it yeah. so we just wanted to cover all our bases and make sure everyone felt okay with it. Yeah. It's just a weird, so weird. Cause obviously like you said, there's a lot of downtime. So there would be, I didn't really think about that because obviously we're 
kind of somewhat removed from the the lockdown stuff, but a lot of that stuff would have been coming out, you know, now. So that makes sense. But part of me was also like, it's just strange how like right afterwards there was a lot of singles featuring him, which again, if there, if he was working on prior then it is what it is, but you know, part of me couldn't help but think that it's also like, I don't know. Timing Reactionary wise. To yeah, his yeah. T- timing wise. It just was weird. But, and again, that's why I asked because obviously I, I know that there's no one's out there going like, all right, kick the bucket. Let's put this out so we can capitalize on all of the notoriety going on right now. Obviously, that's would hope not. Yeah, yeah, that's not something that most bands, if not all ninety nine point nine percent of the bands that have been featured, are feeling like that. But you know, I don't know. People take everything a certain way, and like obviously, like I didn't take it that way. But I was like, it's it does look weird, sound weird, but it is what it is. But you know, that seems to have um, I don't want to say worked out. But, you know, it seems to be a great song for you guys on the record. Uh, And like you said, um, you know, he took the time and effort to put that on record with you guys. So I would assume that and with anybody else. And I would assume he'd want that to see the light of day at some point. So it is I hate saying it, but it is what it is, you know, so there's that. But um, my last rest in peace to Trevor. Yeah. R.I.P. Trevor. also kind of glad the band's kind of continuing on. I guess that's kind of like, you know, a, a, a nod to him going forward without changing. I know a lot of people want the band to change the name and all this out of the other stuff. But people always have an opinion about everything, but, you know, keep the band going. I'm, I'm assuming his family gets royalties or whomever gets, you know, so keep it going. People really wanted them to change the name. I mean, like, Oh, people want you like people. I'm sure want you guys to change the name. People want everyone. Oh, hundred fucking percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm just yeah. like, all right, dude, suck it. It yeah, ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> Waste your breath some more. <laughs> yeah, it, it is one of those things. I don't know. The band names are just so weird, especially like uh, it, it is what it is. But um, let's get. Let, I wanted to ask you your your comments or your thoughts and comments on like deathcore, just because it does seem like that is a genre that is on the up and up. Um, yeah. the young kids, they seem to really gravitate towards the death core. Uh, and I think, you know, I used to talk shit about people that listened, not to death core, but to like other forms of, you know, butt rock or mainstream rock that I didn't listen to. But I feel like these extreme, there's certain extreme genres. Death core is one of those right now. That's very, uh, the benefits from like these social media platforms like reels and stuff like that. And, and uh, when you can ingest things in short form, because there's our, you know, Deathcore has these like short, brutal breakdown parts or just short, brutal parts in general. And I think that, you know, kind of gets like some of these younger kids that are on TikTok and Instagram, just kind of scrolling. That's their entry point, which I'm okay with. It's better than, you know, I don't want to say another big band name, but you know, it's better than that band. Uh, because at least you're in the underground world somehow, and you can really navigate a- around in the underground a lot more than if you were just based on the mainstream. But what do you think the rise in deathcore has been from, and where do you think the trajectory of it will go? Um. Well, do you think it'll it be more palatable? Been... Like, do you think like because like you said earlier, how things sometimes it might not be as palatable to listen to 16 songs in a row. Do you think that Deathcore will find like a way to make it palatable or to like what the, what the, again, what the future holds? 
It's interesting. I think as long as everybody is producing authentic music and just writing what they want to write, that's what will push the genre forward even more. You know, I think deathcore is sort of pulling from all other facets of metal. And that's kind of why it's fun, at least for me to write, is because deathcore is so inclusive. It's got death metal. You can have black metal influence. You've got breakdowns. You can pull from hardcore. You can pull from doom. Uh, you can pull from anything in the metal world and include it in your deathcore sound. And I think this is part of why it's such a successful genre at the moment. I mean, there are bands, and, and there are tons of exciting bands coming out right now, in my opinion. Uh, like Brand of Sacrifice is a band that mm. is absolutely redefining. They have a sound to them that no one else has. And they do such a damn good job of it that if I wasn't a fan of Deathcore, you know, if I heard that, I'd at least be like, okay, well, this is fresh. This is exciting. This is new. Um, there's bands like Lorna Shore. I mean, it's you hear their name everywhere, obviously, and I'm sure I'm the 15th person you've talked to this week that's brought them up. But, like, obviously they've been around for a long time, but they pushed their sound even further, included more and more into it, and really made a moment of it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that, it's undeniable you know you're going to see their name if you're looking on the internet and like you said certain media platforms make it are are, are substantial and like boosting a lot of bands up you know the the content intake does help you know get your name out there better and so i think you know it's a sort of a perfect storm of like people are figuring out how to optimize their exposure via social media and people are refining their sound in a genre that's been sort of building over the last 20 some odd years you know deathcore is is pretty new you know in the span of the world of music and so i think it's taken time to refine the sound you know there's the original the og greatness and then there's like okay well this is this is our this is our our you know square of stone and how are we going to chisel our busts into this you know it's this is the foundation and how do we pull from this to create shit moving forward and i do think there was a while where there was a struggle i mean even for myself and past iterations of chelsea grin it was like there are, there were albums that had a confused identity you know mm -hmm. and then now i think bands like ourselves are are really at this point of like okay we've refined our identity um so now we can charge forward full steam ahead yeah. and i also like there's this phenomenon i feel like where every 10 years or so genres of music semi revitalize and like i i, I this, this idea was originally presented to me by the dude who produced our our last record drew folk he he was like have you ever noticed this inexplicable maybe explicable but like this larger than life occurrence where there's a 10 year cycle on all sorts of music and that rings true rings true with deathcore i mean you think about 10 years ago 2012 and a little before that, that's really when this genre was becoming, you know, its own thing, when it was really emerging. I, and I guess like in sort of the mid 2000 to 2010 area, you saw a lot of that too. Yeah, but definitely now, Jack or Cowboy, Blood, uh, As Blood Runs Back, all those bands started popping up in the mid 2000s. And then uh, like, you know, that's why I brought it up because it seemed like in the mid 2010s, there was a lull. But there was, I feel like there was a lull for a lot of metal. Personally. I think... I think so. Um, and I couldn't really tell you exactly why. I, my thought is that 
it's just a, a ref- refinement period. You know, the genre started, you know, at point A, and then everything between point A and point B was like taking what we learned from point A and, and maximizing on it, like really establishing everyone's individual identity. And I think for a long time, it was a lot of recreation. You know, it wasn't so much individual sound coming out of people. Uh, and and I, and I speak, you know, I say this about myself as well. It was like I was focused on recreating something rather than creating something new. Gotcha. Um, and so now you hear bands that don't sound like any other bands. You hear bands that have been around for a long time writing music that doesn't sound like anything but them, you know, or, you know, really finding their voice. So, I don't know. That's just my theory on it. I got you. To piggyback off of that, why does Deathcore get a ba- such a bad name? I think that other <laughs> genres of metal are chock full of elitism. And you start seeing it pop up more and more in Deathcore. Everyone's comparing band to band and saying, well, in my professional opinion, this is horseshit music. And, you know, you see more and more of that. But I think Deathcore, you know, breakdowns for one, that's something that your average death metal enthusiast is not a fan of. And like, (laughs) it's a foundational part of the deathcore sound. Like it's almost not deathcore without breakdowns, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was a point of ridicule for a long time, you know, and, and breakdowns can be cheesy. I mean, as I've gotten older, I'm, I'm, I'm less about the breakdown and more about the riff, you know, but you wouldn't think that listening to our new record, but like, (laughs) but you know, I get that. Um, and to be honest, where Deathcore started was kind of cringy. Like my band, they used to straighten their hair and choreograph their dance moves on stage and shit like that. Like oh, that's yeah. not, it's not that cool. It's oh, a yeah. little bit embarrassing, you know? Um, so it started off as, I feel like it started off as a joke to a lot of people. And that, that sort of thought pattern just it still exists today there are still people who like i'm convinced people who hate our band because they didn't like us in 2010 because Mm -hmm. it was pretty cringe and like they they won't let go of that you know and so i think uh, you know it's it's just a matter of like generational thought processes that just don't die i don't mean generation like actual generations of of people but like you know these people who started or were there for the foundation of deathcore they, yeah, like, they a, can, like an era what, what, yeah like era, whatever that is yeah exactly you know this this bias just kind of still runs through their blood and so it gets the short end of the stick a lot of the time mm-hmm. but it's fun like we did a tour with dying fetus in may and is that the show that i saw you guys at i think that's you guys played here jacksonville i was trying to think in this conversation i was like i just saw north carolina or florida florida okay i didn't even know jacksonville north carolina existed until we went on that tour and it was an <laughs> amazing show yeah but yeah yeah we did play in in, that's in jacksonville. The one. yeah i was like was it with 200 stab wounds and cannibal corpse but i was like no that's a different show because that, that happened like relatively at the same time but i didn't mean to cut you off I, but that that's what it was the dying fetus show body snatcher dying fetus and you guys yeah, yeah. Vatican, Vatican was there too? Uh, it was Frozen Soul and Undeath. Ah, ah, yes. But um, that tour, we were expecting to get shit on by 
a, a majority of the audience and like we know we can hold our own as far as bringing people to the show we knew we'd have our fans there but we expected the others the people coming for the dying fetus frozen soul and undeath uh you know sound we expected them to hate us but every single night we'd get off stage we'd go to merch and we'd have people be like i thought I was going to hate you guys. I've never liked you guys. I always had some bad taste in my mouth just hearing your band's name. And then I come and I watch you play and I'm sold. Completely mm -hmm. sold now. You've got a fan now. I'm sorry for spending the last 10 years thinking you guys were pussy horse shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, like, I think, you know, just from that experience, like, I was told there's this embedded bias against Deathcore. And I think sometimes it just takes experiencing it and like giving it a fair chance. And maybe because our band has refined our sound mm -hmm. and we're not the same sound we were 10, 15 years ago. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. I think Deathcore Death gets the short end of the stick a lot, but at the same time, it's thriving so much now that yeah. either you're forced to acknowledge that it's legitimate or we're fine without you. Yeah. I feel like uh, it's just one of those newer, it, it was a newer, you know, uh, form of music in that time frame, And obviously a lot of people thought it was probably gimmicky. And so they just initially hated it because it was the, but again, it didn't help that MySpace, you know, kind of helped blow that up too. And a lot of, you know, it's, a, it's like the get off my lawn kind of crew. That's like, fuck that MySpace crowd but i mean like obviously for for us or for me however that was a big way of how i found like a lot of the bands i still hold near and dear to my heart but um i could see how like it started off with a negative vibe but you know had to make i had to persevere through that and by negative vibe i mean from the outside not the internal fans of deathcore thinking it was right or anything. um we've been talking for a little bit and i'm gonna cut you loose here so you can have some popeyes and i know you've been wanting to hit that vape stick so yeah, freaking, it's, it smells <laughs> awesome right here. It's literally sitting right beneath my chair, and I'm like, I'm going ravenous. Yeah. Um, but something I like to do, and this it depends on your answer, depends on how much longer obviously this this goes. So uh, something I like to do is is kind of like let the fans of not just your band, but of of like heavy music in general, kind of realize that there's not like a, a plethora of money to be had in this uh, in this arena. Um, some bands they're able to fully sustain themselves just being a band uh and again I'm not saying that you guys aren't i don't know if you guys are or not but if you uh if you aren't what does steven do outside of chelsea grin not only to pay the bills but you know pass his time like hobby wise uh i run a studio in portland oregon um so when i'm not touring playing music i'm usually helping artists write music i do a lot of songwriting and production and engineering for people um and that was really like you know we're fortunate that our band is able to sustain us pretty damn well um and i'm a single guy you know like it's it's a lot easier for me than some others you know in different circumstances but it came out of a necessity to fill the time when you tour like crazy your brain gets accustomed to a certain pace, you know, every day I'm in a new city, I'm surrounded by 30 people that I know personally, I'm playing in front of hundreds of people and then you come home and there's this immense slowdown, you know? Yeah. And so for me, it was like, well, I need to occupy my time. 
um, I need to do something other than wait for the next tour. Uh, so yeah, I've been running my studio. I started it a couple years ago and it's been a godsend. You know, it's kept me sane. It's kept me creative. Um, gets me out of the house, which nothing but work will get me out of the house at this point in my life. So <laughs> I'm grateful to have it. Uh, you know, we all have some type of side hustle that just keeps us mentally healthy. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was all CG all the time, then I imagine we would all be in shambles. We'd resent the situation. So, so yeah, it's, it's kept me busy. It's, it's helped. It's supplemented the, the income, you know, which is yeah, awesome. That's, that's the whole point. So you can continue making the art. That's why I bring that up because I, I and you've touched a couple point on a couple points that help people get into heavy music, but I stress supporting the bands that you like or see live so much because I think a lot of people think that like if you're a signed band, you're getting paid and you should just focus on making music and that's all your job is. But in reality, you know, a lot of bands, most bands, I don't want to say most bands, let's say a, a good chunk of bands come back from tour in the negative. Um, and that's basically like where you're going to make your money for the most part sometimes is, is live shows and touring. Yeah. So, you know, I try to like paint the, the reality for the individuals that's either A, in a band or just uh, a fan of that music. Supporting those bands in any monetary way is how you're going to continue the art that you enjoy being created by by that band and by other bands obviously so like if you ever wonder what happened to the band that you never went to go see live or buy an album from that's probably you probably answered your own question if you don't have an album or a piece of merch from that band then you it's pretty fucking self-explanatory what happened to them they didn't get supported so i think that you know supporting the bands uh when they come to town um you know as directly as possible, I, I say. Obviously, like if you're signed to a label and you're buying an album, like the label does get a cut, this or the other. So, if a band has a Patreon or if a band plays live in your area, you know the merch sales, ticket sales go more so to that band. So I try to be a beacon for for that to kind of let people know, like, hey, no one's winning the lottery on the road. You gotta like if you if if you enjoy this, you gotta come and show up or or you know pay support somehow. Yeah, you have to to stimulate the uh, the musical economy if you want it not to crash. You know, it's it is really hard, especially when you're starting up to break even. And you know, I do think the perception of being in a band, especially like like everyone knows Beyonce, Taylor Swift, they all those artists. It's no question they're thriving and, and crushing yeah, it. Exactly. Not a worry in the world, right? But if you're in a metal band you are knowingly capping yourself to a certain degree, you know, within a very high probability of capping yourself to a certain degree of success. And so it's very much reliant on people supporting through means, like you said, concert tickets, merchandise. Um, not every band has the luxury of keeping, uh, you know, much of their albums. A lot of bands have to recoup advances, like money advances before they get paid anything from their albums, you know? So every bit that you throw into it is felt, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. There are a lot of expenses, you know, it's not like 
creating music is creating something from nothing. It takes money and yeah. it takes time. And, you know, you, you sacrifice a lot of time to be in a band. It's a, so much time. It's, it's hard to have a job when you're off tour for a lot of people, because what job wants to hire someone who's going to be gone every other month. Right. It's uh, it's extremely difficult. A lot of people really, really struggle. And, you know, I, I would say for, for my band, We've been around for 15 years and it's not the kind of income you'd want to have a family on, you know, like it's not, we've been doing this for so damn long. And like I said, I'm really, really grateful that we are able to come home with money at all. It's, uh, it's not easy. And I really, you know, I see a lot of artists struggle very much, but I do see people buying merch more and more. Of course, I think the, I think the younger generation really, really does kind of do that uh, really well. And that's I was going to yeah. lead into that saying like, you know, our generation, whatever that is, <clears throat> like there was only another generation prior to us, basically. So like we were the second generation dealing with like hardcore metal, like as we kind of know it. I feel mm -hmm. like now another 20 years has gone by. This generation is more applicable to come out of the pocket. And that's but again, I still homer that, you know, drill at home because like you know, if that stops or whatever, like, you know, because like you said, there's a finite amount of people that let's say you're the best metal band in all of the world. There's a finite amount of people that you could touch that even will like metal. Right. So right. that's, that's metal. Like Metallica has a finite amount of people that they could touch. It's a little right. bit larger than the average metal band because they are a big mainstream band, but still like every person wearing a Metallica shirt, we already know doesn't listen to like Metallica. So they're they're a right. pop culture reference, but they all also have a finite number of individuals that they could touch. To where if you go down to like another level of band, Five Finger Death Punch or whatever, they have a fucking infinite level. So get down to the nitty 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 gritty of like the weirdest of weirdest music that you listen to. There's only like a fucking small finite amount of people that really even fuck with that. So it is so, you know, like when you see bands just keep going, you know and when you have bands like Every Time I Die, even though they're, they're a different genre altogether, but when you see bands like that hanging up, it's like, fuck, dude, you guys, you guys lasted so long and it's so hard. You know what I mean? It's so hard. So when you see a band do it, you know, it's really like kudos, man, because especially like the more weird avant-garde stuff, you know, that has less of a pool of audience to like pull from. It's like kudos to those people and kudos for having the love and passion and, and drive to do that, you know, so... Yeah, I think anyone who is doing what we do is a passionate person. I mean, there are people I guess I wouldn't say that about who are just here for the fun, right? But I think it takes a lot of passion to eat so much shit. You got to really like shit to eat this much shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, I, I eat shit every day, unfortunately, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It, it, it ain't easy, you know. I think that the perception of it can be really skewed but like you said this this newer generation merch sales for a lot of bands a lot of my friends bands even like opening bands i've i've heard of bands opening tours and doing as much merch as we might do in a show and it just goes to show that like there is this support and this understanding coming back in i would just encourage people to continue that go to the concerts you know that's a huge part of it 
even even if you can't help them out financially, you know, if you can't afford to buy a ticket, every person that goes to a show just helps secure a better show for the band the next time they come through. Um, so any means of support, even just like sharing music, you know, the more ears it hear, the more ears that your music hits, the more support you're gaining, the more you can sustain this job. And that that goes for financially, emotionally, professionally, so many things. The more you stimulate this economy, the more we all benefit. And I'm not just talking about the artists. It's like the more everybody in this circle can benefit. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Steve, yes. I won't keep you this much longer on this lovely Friday night. Your your chicken sandwiches or chicken has been getting cold long enough. I got the tenders. Yeah, good choice. I'm actually going to go get some uh, boneless wings here, I've decided. Uh, good call, dude. It's, it's, it's getting late here on a Friday night. Why not? I'm, I'm, I actually, I am is playing, like right on the street. Oh, really? So I'm trying to hopefully catch that uh, if I didn't miss them playing. But, uh, yeah, they're playing down the street, so I'm going to try to catch that out. But um, it was great having you on, man. Congratulations on the release. You just released it today. This podcast comes out in a number of weeks. I'll uh, be in touch with you and stuff like that as when it comes out. But, yeah, congratulations on that. Uh, hopefully we'll be posting some uh, billboard stuff. We've seen a lot of billboard, uh, you know, bands bands from our world hop on billboard lately. Like Goat Whore was on there. Polyphia was just on there. A number of yeah. bands have shown up on there recently. So hopefully, you know, we'll be posting some uh, accolades of you guys in the next week or two here. Maybe uh, so. hopefully Ryan Ryan Downey gets us that information. Yeah, but, right. Um, God, there was one thing I was going to leave off with you. Oh, yes. Uh, what flavor is the vape? Even. red mojito and i don't <laughs> like it but you said this this, this freaking bastard's got me wanting to quit altogether oh nice well hey there you go that's good all right well we'll leave it on that note if you uh, are again if you're attending a show that's where you get the whole vibe that's where you feel the music it's if you don't like it when you're listening to it on just audio it's probably because you're listening on shitty speakers anyway but if you go to a show, by all means, you'll definitely get it. If you already are a fan, bring a normal friend to the show. Yeah. Ruin their world. Get yeah. them down the rabbit hole. And then, uh, you know, because it is, it's a whole different ballgame. You can bring a completely, you know, person that's clueless to it. They'll see the whole atmosphere and they'll they'll get in, yeah. intrigued and they'll just go down that rabbit hole. So let's grow this. Yeah, let's grow this scene together. That way, you know, I can touch more people with Lamb Goat as, you know, I want to get as big as Metallica. I want everyone to yeah. be as big as Metallica. Yeah, so, that's the goal for everybody, right? Yeah. So final thoughts, Stephen? Send us out with some with some cool final thoughts. Well, I don't know how cool they are. Uh, <laughs> we just have a lot coming up, man. I mean, if, if you like Chelsea Grin, then you're in luck. We've got so much material. We're touring a ton. We'll be in Europe at the end of November. You know, this month, um, we're planning a lot of headlining Australia in January with Iota's murder. Um, our second of two new albums comes out March 17th. Our new one suffering hell. The first is out. So by the time you're hearing this, hopefully you've heard it, give it a chance. You know, I just appreciate people listening, um, and support artists, you know, beyond even just us. If you see an artist you like, just uh, show them some love because mm -hmm. everybody deserves love. Even a so. retweet or a share. Retweet or share goes a long way. Exactly. Steve, Steve, I think we'll see you in Central Florida in early next year for that uh, Central Florida Metal Festival or 
We just did the Central Florida Metal Fest. That's uh, right. Uh, I was thinking of August Burns Reds coming. September. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I was thinking of the August Burns Reds thing coming up in February, but what you're not a part of. But you are. You were a part of the Central Florida Metal Fest, which yes. I did not attend. But yes, okay. We will. We will be through everywhere, probably in the world, at some point in 2023. So we'll see All you right. there. We're on the lookout for you. All right, man. Well, have a great Friday, and uh, I'll leave you to it. Cool. Thanks for having me. Have a good night. No problem, man. Take it easy. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.